Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hey, it's Don't At Me with Dan Dockett, your favorite morning show with your favorite host. I don't know who that would be, but apparently I think it's me. Man, we got a lot to get to. You know, you think it's just a, I don't know, a Wednesday night, Thursday morning in the final four week, and we're all supposed to just kind of get ready for Duke Carolina, listen to Dickie V go like this, and... But all of a sudden, the news broke last night that Bruce Arians is stepping down. Now, you got to understand about Bruce Arians. When he was here in Indianapolis, everybody in the building, and I mean this sincerely, everybody in the building wanted Bruce Arians to take over as the head coach. Now, Chuck Pagano was battling cancer, and there was a big deal called Chuck Strong. And Chuck Strong became Chuck Stay and all this kind of stuff. Pagano... Uh, was beloved here, and Bruce, but Bruce Arians was the guy that everybody in that building knew was the head coach and should have been the head coach, but you can't do that. I mean, Pagano was just getting the job, but all Arians did when he became the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts was take the Colts to the playoffs, and he did a hell of a job. He really did, and he was the NFL's coach of the year as an interim head coach, and obviously that led to Arizona. And that then led to Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And it's fascinating, really, because when you look at the life and coaching career of Bruce Arians, he was a longtime assistant. And he got fired by the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers said, no bueno, out. Gets picked up by Pagano, ends up in Indy, and the rest is history. It is interesting because there is a feeling in coaching that when you get fired, a better job awaits, and you just saw it in the career of Bruce Arians, but you're also seeing it with Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is 24 and 40. 24 and 40 as a head coach. Now, we're all supposed to praise Todd Bowles as the hiring because it's diverse, blah, 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 blah. All right? That's fine. That's great. But he was 24 and 40. That's what he was. You can't get around that. 24 and 40. Anyway, long story short, they hire this guy as the head coach. Arians out. And now, of course, it becomes, is Tom Brady going to get dealt? Let me give you the answer to that. Oh, hell no. Look, look me in the face here. I am not a media person. I am an entertainer. You watch this for information and entertainment. All right? Media people lie to you. Media people are stupid. And when I say stupid, I mean with a capital oopin. They take the easy route. Well, Bowles would want his own start. Well, Arians quit because of Tom Brady. Here's the deal. When you've actually been in these locker rooms for more than just to take a picture or for more than just to ask a question, you understand these things don't happen in a vacuum. They don't happen in a vacuum. There are relationships. There are conversations. And some idiot that writes for some idiotic blog telling you that these two don't like each other, block, 
Bunk, 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 bunk. It's bunk. <laughs> Man, Brady's not going nowhere. The Bucks aren't going anywhere under Bowles unless Brady puts a superhuman effort together. In three years, Bowles will be fired because Brady will be gone and they won't have a quarterback. I'm just telling you how the world goes. Unless, of course, Brady loses his mind at 72 years old and leads him to a Super Bowl, which who knows? <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, good for Bruce Arians, 69 years old, smokes cigars, drinks scotch. He ain't in the front office. Ain't no front office job for him. Hell no. He ain't going to front office. What's he going to do, sit in a meeting and go, hmm, let me check my phone and see when the next deal. No way. He's going to wear his hat, smoke cigars, drink beers, and go play golf. If he's smart. I mean, if he's dumb, then he won't do that. But if he's smart, that's what he'll do. So don't believe anything you read. Seriously. Don't believe anything you read. Don't believe even for a second this has anything to do with Brady. This is just a natural course. Look, if it were up to the NFL, every coach would either be a woman, uh, an African-American, uh, a transgender person. Let's be honest. That's what they want. They just put a thing out yesterday or two days ago. So this hiring, and I'm sure Bowles is great. We'll see. 24 and 40. What does Parcells say? Except in this case, because everybody's arguing with me. Well, you know, he did. The- okay, great. Bill Parcells said, you are what your record says you are. I've always said that's crap. But hey, what do I know? The, the idea, 24 and 40. He's the head coach. Uh, Brady's got a year. We'll see what happens. All right? There you go. I'm all in on that, too, by the way. I want to see, see, this would be really interesting. Let's think of it this way. So Brady, with Belichick, wins Super Bowls. Brady, with a guy everybody consider is a great coach in Arians, wins the Super Bowl. Brady, with a guy that has been a horse bleep coach as a head coach, 24 and 40 says that, he wins the Super Bowl with Bowles? Woo, mama. Now you're talking. Now you're already talking. He's already the GOAT. Don't get me wrong. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. You know what I mean. But the truth of the matter is, you win a Super Bowl with Todd freaking Bowles as your head coach? Stop it. I don't even want I don't even want Peyton Manning in a conversation. He needs to go sit over there at the kids' table. If Tom, if Tom Brady does it with 24 and 40, that'll be interesting. That'll be fascinating. No, really, that will be something. Uh, is Brady on the market? Let me give you two words. Oh, hell no. Market? So let's take this from a personal level. So Tom Brady decides he's going to move his family down to Tampa. And Tom Brady, look, if Deshaun Watson can decide where the hell he goes, he of 22 civil cases, and by the way, I still haven't heard from the women of Cleveland. If Deshaun Watson can determine where he goes, you don't think Tom Brady can? You think Tom Brady's ownership wants Tom Brady gone and let 24 and 40, this coach on his own with who, Blaine Gabbert? Who? This guy, Bulls? Without Tom Brady? You can't be serious. That's why I'm like, well, you know, Brady's the next to be dealt. If I'm the Buccaneers' ownership, 
not only am I not dealing Tom Brady, but I'm sitting there going, man, we got 24 and 40 coaching us. Oh, hell. Damn. We're keeping Brady. We're getting Gronk back. Is Edelman ready? Uh, what's Teddy Bruschi doing? I'm getting a band back together. I'm not letting this franchise at 24 and 40. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> Come on. And he may be the greatest coach ever. I'm sure everybody's going to tell me this. I haven't looked at Twitter, and I'm sure I'm going to be a Caldenist, right? I'm sure, uh, you know, Belichick was 36 and 44. That Great. How many Belichicks have there been? I don't know. But a lot of guys, 24 and 40, that got jobs uh, in, in these situations where a guy steps down that haven't done squat three years, he's out. And I, you can call me whatever you want. I'm just going by history. Brady's going to play one year. They'll be all right. Two years, they'll stink. He'll be out. And then, you know, he'll have to figure it out. But I'm anxious to see this because I would love to see Todd Bowles succeed. I would love to see this. Jo- hey, I would love to see it. Love it. Because I like redemption stories, but I'm just giving you facts. I'm just giving you the way I've seen it in the past, and you can get mad, glad, angry, or sad. But any idiot that shows up and says, oh, by the way, by the way, Tom Brady's going to be dealt. No, he ain't going to be dealt. Mm -mm. 24 and 40. Did they have to interview candidates for that? I don't know. All right, the final four, ladies and gentlemen, here I am. Let me give you some numbers. Duke, North Carolina. I don't know if you saw the first game, but the first game was ass-kicking. First game was 87-67, and it was not that close. It wasn't. That was at Carolina. Duke won the game. You know, it ended up 20, but it was 30. It was whatever Duke wanted it to be. 20 doesn't look nearly as bad as 28, right? I mean, it isn't, and it doesn't look nearly as bad, but that's what that was. That was 28 plus. So now they come back, and Duke decides, well, you know, we're going to have 90 former players there. We're going to make this all about K. This is the culmination of the Love Me Tour. Mike Krzyzewski, I want your love. Love me. I want to be loved. Well, you got loved. You got Caleb Love. See what I did there? Four guys in double figures. Four guys in the 20s for North Carolina. North Carolina beats their ass. Now, if you're Hubert Davis, that's an awesome offseason. We beat K on K Day in Cameron, sending him out in his last home game with a loss. You're ready to do whatever you do in the tournament, and then... You just have a great offseason. You go recruiting, you, you wax philosophic, you talk about how Carolina's back, and, oh, it's beautiful. This is missionary work, he said. That's what you do. Oh, boy. Sorry. You got to the Final Four. All right. Oh, you got to play Duke. I wonder if you really, really broke it down. I wonder how these guys both really feel. I think for Mike Krzyzewski, He's beyond all of this, right? His deal is, man, I'll go to the Final Four, and probably for Hubert Davis, I'll go to the Final Four and play whoever. And if you're Hubert Davis, what an opportunity, right? I've talked about this. Holy hell. You get the chance to not only knock out K at home on his last home game, but knock out K forever. However, 
And North Carolina, remember, Bill Guthridge would go to Final Fours like it was his job, and it was, and then they wanted him out of there. They're never going to want, I don't think, ever going to want uh, Hubert out of there because he's the best dude ever, and he's been to one Final Four in one year. However, losing this to North Carolina kind of negates the last home game. Doesn't take it away, but it kind of negates it. For Duke, oh, man, this is retribution. This is, man, we get a chance to erase this crap and eliminate our arch rival from any shot of a national championship in the first time we've ever played each other. This is freaking awesome if you're Carolina and if you're Duke. But from a Duke standpoint, it's retribution against one of the most historic wins in the history of North Carolina. Think about how hard that is. Think about how hard it is to have a historic win at North Carolina with all the winning they've done. But this is an opportunity to maybe, maybe have the most historic weekend in the history of North Carolina. Let's be honest. You knocked Duke out first time you played him. You knocked Coach K out forever, and you win a national championship. You tell me, Carolina fans. Is there anything that could possibly be better than that? There is only one Coach K. There is only one opportunity to knock him out, and you have that chance. That's why I think this game at 849 on on Saturday is going to be so good, so ridiculously good. So ri- It may be tight. Whoever cannot be tight is going to win this game. I think Duke's going to win the game. I'm going to give the four. I think Duke's just a better team. And I think at some point, all these threes, and I mean big-time threes, particularly from Caleb Love, that they threw in, I don't think it's going to happen for them. I'm taking Duke. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth game. Then I think Duke eventually wins by five, six, seven. I think they're the better basketball team, and I think they're playing great. But the one thing, the one guy in this game, the one matchup in this game that is going to be fascinating for me, it may not determine the game. Everybody wants to say this matchup or that matchup will determine the game. This may not determine the game, but it's going to be fun to watch. Is Mark Williams against Armando Baycott. Let me tell you something about Armando Baycott. He is playing his ass off. When he dove, saved the ball, flipped it back, It eventually got over on the right side to Caleb Love for the tying three. One of the great plays in the NCAA tournament, if not the best play in this year's NCAA tournament. It saved the day for Carolina. Middle ball screen, all these different guards, whether it's Love or Davis or Black, coming off middle ball screen, playing two-man basketball in the center of the court with Baycott has been terrific, and it is an Achilles heel of Duke, except I think Mark Williams is playing great. I think Mark Williams against Baycott is the best matchup in this tournament. I think Mark Williams is a top 10 pick in the NBA draft. I have no idea if he is. I have no idea where all the little goofy dudes that never played, never coached, and don't know their ass from third base but are draft experts. I have no idea where they put Mark Williams, but I will tell you this. Mark Williams, to me, to me, is a top 10 player in the NBA draft. He can get the ball in around the bucket. He's long as hell. He blocks shots, but he's going to have his hands full with a guy in Armando Baycott that's playing great. That is the matchup of this weekend. I think it's the best matchup of this weekend, and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm taking Duke. I'm giving the four, but I don't love it. If you told me North Carolina was going to win and asked me how it was going to, how they were going to win, I'll tell you. Same way they won at Duke. 
and that's this. Middle ball screen, keep the ball moving, drive, 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 and more drive. And frankly, if you really want to know the truth, it's no real different with Duke. If either team settles for quick jacked up threes, they're going to go on a, the team against them is going to go on a run. And both teams, North Carolina and Duke, will settle at different times for jacking up three. Touch the paint either, either by throwing it into the post or driving it into the lane. You don't necessarily only have to touch the paint by throwing it on the block. Drive it, kick it, drive it again, kick it again. And once you get it in the paint, a lot of guys can lift up and make shots. A lot of guys can drop it down to a big. A lot of guys can kick it out for a three. It's interesting to watch. If I, meaning Duke, or I, meaning Carolina, can keep my man in front of me and not need help, I'm going to have a good defensive game and we're going to win the game, but I don't think either team can. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think Duke wins it. I think Duke wins it by five or more. Next game is interesting, Villanova, Kansas. I'm going to throw some numbers at you. Look, uh, I watch ESPN and I watch CBS, and you can tell an analyst that doesn't know his ass from third base when they just throw numbers at you sitting at a desk. And you got a lot of them. But let me throw a few at you. Here's what Kansas has done defensively. Kansas in this NC – I'm sorry, let me go Villanova first. I want to go Villanova first. Because Justin Moore out, Villanova, I don't know if they're going to have a chance in this game, but let me go through the numbers. Justin Moore is a good defender, but he's not the best. Delaware scored 60. Ohio State scored 61. Uh, 55 is what Michigan scored. And then 44 is what Houston scored. Think about that. In modern college basketball, where we're getting up and down the court, we're shooting threes, we got a shot clock, 60, 61, 55, and 44. Tell you this, Villanova's guard, very underrated. Or maybe they aren't underrated. Maybe they are rated. But I know this, they're guarding their ass off. So is Kansas. Kansas, 72, uh, 56, Texas Southern, 72 against Creighton. Tough game. Creighton was making shots. 61 and 50 with a 17 point, a 15 point second half for Miami. Let me go through some other numbers. You know, Miami. This is interesting. Miami was only 3 of 31 from 3. Providence, 4 of 23 from 3. Those two numbers are interesting. You know why? Creighton shot a good number. If you can shoot and get open threes against Kansas, you can play Kansas. But if you can't get open threes, contested threes are hard, particularly in a dome. That's going to be a big deal in this game. Both teams can guard. Who's going to guard the three better? Both teams guard the three. I wish Justin Moore was playing. If Justin Moore was playing, man, would I feel good about Villanova. But I just don't think Villanova's got enough offense without Justin Moore against a really good defensive team. I think Justin Moore's a shot maker. I think Justin Moore's a shot go-getter. But the truth of the matter is Kansas is going to guard you. Now, that doesn't mean this is going to be a route. I don't think so. I think Kansas will win the game, and I think they'll cover. I think it's going to be Kansas, Duke, and I think both are going to cover. I think we, in uh, at last I saw, which was this morning, it was four and a half. Kansas was given Villanova. I think they'll cover that fairly easy. And I do think their offense can get clicking. I do. But, man, that Kansas defense is damn good, and so is that Villanova defense. But I just think without Justin Moore, you got more playmakers. And with Remy Martin playing the way he plays, you got more guys that can go get shots, and I think that's what this game comes down to. You know, it's funny when you talk to people that don't really know hoops and hate you on Twitter or hate you 
because you do a game and you're not nice to their team. When you talk about a team that can make shots, they show their ignorance and go, oh, really, Dan? I didn't know what the game is. No. The game is far more than just making shots. The game is about togetherness in tough times. But see, here's the deal with that. When we talk about togetherness in tough times in basketball, there's nobody tougher than Villanova. Last year, they played without Colin Gillespie. This year, they're playing without Justin Moore. And I'm telling you, people say, well, you're an idiot. You're an absolute idiot. All right. I am an idiot. I'll take being an idiot. But the truth of the matter is, uh, that's going to be big in this. Because all four teams, all four teams are tough as hell. All four teams are mentally tough as hell. All four teams have something about their program. Their program. Internally, there's a thread throughout. You put that uniform on and guess what? You got to play. You got to play in big moments. And if you don't play in big moments, you shouldn't have that shirt on. That's how all four – and you play for former players. You think those Duke former players, with all that brotherhood and all that stuff that they got going, walked out of Cameron Indoor Stadium feeling any good? No. No, after that loss to North Carolina. You think those North Carolina former players, after they watched their team get beat by 26, 28, actually just 20, felt good? No, and that's a big deal in these programs. Huge deal. You know, this is interesting. I want to go back to something with Arians. Trey Essex, who I really like. Trey Essex on Twitter says, Hey, Dan, the Saints hired a coach with an 8-28 and record, and the Raiders hired a coach with an 11-17 and record. He's right. He's absolutely right. That's pretty good. That is absolutely pretty good. So I guess that's a new way in the NFL. Hire guys with bad records. Go get yourself a bad record, and we'll hire you. Shaheen Holloway took the Seton Hall job. Couldn't be happier. The more I learn about St. Peter's and how un, what's the right word? Unrealistic it is for them to get to the Elite Eight? Wow. People say Gonzaga. See, Gonzaga put a bunch of money into their program. And going back, I think it was 2000 or 2002, I think it was interesting. I think when you look at Gonzaga, they were building to this. Like, they were building when Dan Munson was there. They were really good. They, they had a system in place of being on national TV and playing everybody. I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know St. Peter's was in Jersey City. I didn't know St. Peter's uh, – ex- I, I, I knew it existed. I mean, I read the Bible. I know St. Peter denied Christ three times before they came and got him. But I didn't know where St. Peter's was. And I didn't know, I never saw him on national TV. Even Gonzaga back in the day, building to an Elite Eight before they became, you know, what you know as Gonzaga was building this. So what Shaheen Holloway did and what Shaheen Holloway did in game was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. And, you know, at the end of the day, uh, good for him to go back home. I think it's a terrific hire. I don't know how it's going to work. Look, let's be honest. Villanova rules the roost in the Big East. The Big East is a tough job. Like, Butler, get out of the Big East. But the truth of the matter is, when I watched Shaheen Holloway, how he conducted himself in interviews, how he coached, hell, he's great. 
I mean, let's be honest. Seton Hall's had some wild dudes. Danny Hurley was insane. Wasn't he the coach there? I think he was. I mean, now you got a guy who I think is, is tough, smart. If I were a player, I'd want to play for Shaheen Holloway. Hell yeah. Uh, offensively, defensively, in-game. He might have been the best in-game coach. So good for Shaheen Holloway. Seriously, really good. Hell yeah. I mean, I swear to you, you know, a lot of times you go to a Mac job or you go to a Missouri Valley job and people are talking about you or you become a big-time assistant coach. When's the last time somebody from that league got a big-time job like that? It doesn't happen very often, but I'll tell you this. Shaheen Holloway got exactly what he deserved, man. So now you go to Seton Hall. Now you got a chance to, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if he can ever get Seton Hall back to an Elite Eight because I'm telling you this, an Elite Eight is hard. Like, I'm going to go through this with y'all at Indiana. Indiana, bastion of basketball, right? Five national championships. So they went to five Elite Eights, right? 1975, an Elite Eight. They didn't win a national championship. All right, 1973, Final Four. That's an Elite Eight. All right, 1992, right? I'm I'm skipping 87 because you won a championship. That's one of the five. 1992, Final Four, Elite Eight. 1993, lost to Kansas in Elite Eight. 1984, lost to Virginia in Elite Eight. 2002, lost in the national championship in Elite Eight. In the entire history of Indiana University men's basketball, they've been to 11 Elite Eights. That's it. Elite Eight. That's all. 11. Five national champions, seven Final Fours. All right. Yeah. Seven Final Fours. That's seven. And in four other Elite Eights. In the entire, do you know how hard it is to get to an Elite Eight? (laughs) Look, one win into the Final Four propels your career as a player, as a coach, to a next level. But an Elite Eight ain't easy. People don't just walk into Elite Eights, particularly at some place like St. Peter's. I mean, Indiana University has more advantages than St. Peter's today, tomorrow, the next day. They've been to 11. I think the first tournament was 1939 or 1940. So you're talking about 80 years. St. Peter's just went. It's pretty damn good. Don't discount an Elite Eight just because they got their brains beat out. It's like people discount Houston. Houston got their brains beat out last year by Baylor in the Final Four. When Tom Crean and Dwayne Wade went to the Final Four, people say, yeah, well, Kansas crushed them. Hey, do you know how hard it is to get to an Elite Eight? Or even a Sweet 16? Hell, I could probably do the numbers on Indiana going to a Sweet 16 and ain't that many. I wonder how many Elite Eight Purdue's been to. Arena, toughest place. Matt Painter, one of the great coaches. I don't think it's many. Uh, they have been to, they've been to one Final Four, one Elite Eight with Glenn Robinson, 1980 Final Four. Glenn Robinson, like 1984, a couple years ago against Virginia. I think they went once when Carson Cunningham was there. I lost like 22 to 20 against Wisconsin, man. I'm telling you, what Shaheen Holloway did, whoo, damn. 
Damn. It's pretty good. It's really good. What the hell is anybody hiring a guy with an 8 and 28 record for? Anyway, anyway, we got a monster for you today. The, uh, well, the main man, the head guy, Clay Travis is joining us coming up here in 15 minutes at quarter till. Mike Lewis, head coach at Ball State. You know, he was at UCLA last year in the Final Four. I'm going to talk to him about coaching in the Final Four. My friend Jason Hammer, you know you love Hammer Time. Hammer Time is like, I don't know, 70 and 2 picking games here. And then he blanks you off because he gets political, which is part of this show. Hey, it just is. But Jason Hammer is going to join us. We got a monster. You know what I haven't been today? I have not been on the YouTube chat. The YouTube chat is usually flying. It's rocking and rolling. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, there is a segment we do, which is called, I ain't mad about it. It's based on a player that I had, uh, a goof named Jamarcus Ellis. Now, Jamarcus Ellis, I had to suspend him at Indiana. I think FERPA laws say why I, I can't say why I suspended him. But anyway, I had to suspend him. And when I told him I was suspending him, you know what he said? Oh, coach, I ain't mad about it. That's actually the culture of Kelvin Sampson. When players get suspended and they say, well, I ain't mad about it. I said, I'm mad about it. I said, hell, we're going to Penn State. We're trying to win something here, and you're dumbass. I got to suspend. So I was mad about it. But anyway, long story short, Uh, I ain't mad about it when we come back. We're going to talk about Joel Embiid. We're going to talk about Eric Church. We're going to talk about the women's final four. We're going to talk NFL. You do not want to miss I ain't mad about it because it might make you mad about it. That's right. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Keep it right here. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. We're going to take a short break here. We're rolling. I mean rolling right now with Don't At Me. And of course, you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned right here for more Don't At Me. Oh, we're rocking and rolling here today. Uh, Thank God for Tim Legler. Like, think about who you're listening to on ESPN trying to break down the NFL. NBA, excuse me. (laughs) Some guard from Georgetown. (laughs) Thank God for Tim Legler on ESPN's coverage. Thank God. I ain't mad about Tim Legler's coverage on ESPN. You finally have somebody that knows and has been there what the hell they're talking about. Look, you all can get offended. But me personally, just me, if you haven't played or coached, I ain't listening to you. I don't care why you were hired. I ain't listening to you. If you played, you coached, I'll listen. And if you're an idiot and you played and coached, I ain't listening to you. Wilbon talking about the NBA, I ain't listening. Not doing it. Jalen Rose talking about the NBA when he talks about the NBA a little bit, but I don't think he knows his ass from third base because I don't think he does any research. Jay Williams, same thing. 
tell you this, Legler talks, I listen. Absolutely listen. It's like the NFL. I was listening to Diana Rossini today. I, me, I, 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 me, I, I, I. It's not about you. It's about your reporting. I digress. Uh, Kaepernick is on his um, spring comeback tour. I don't understand it. I mean, if, if everybody's a slave that's in the NFL, why does Kaepernick so desperately want to be in there? And Nike money running out? Just make another documentary. People will watch. Jim Harbaugh, who was his coach, made him an honorary captain of Michigan. That's got to make the woke folk happy. I wonder how the police feel about it. I don't know. All right. I ain't mad about it. Eric Church had a big concert. Eric Church, for those of you that don't know, is a country singer. Eric Church, a good country singer, damn good country singer, but Eric Church canceled his, his uh, concert because he wants to watch North Carolina play Duke. Risky. Very risky. I, look, I get it. You're a fan, but you're a fan. Game's over. You might be pissing a lot of people off. If I were an Eric Church fan, and I'd go see Eric Church, I wouldn't go pay big money. I wouldn't do it on one of my... I do a VIP with my wife once a year, night, to a concert. Usually it's Kid Rock. When Kid Rock opened with Cool and the Gang, it was off the chain, yo. But anyway, I don't know. Uh, I think that's bad business for Eric Church. I'm interested to see. A lot of fans are pissed. Now, they're getting a refund, and there's not going to be one little guy on SportsCenter anywhere you see criticize it because we don't do that. We say, oh, look at what a big fan he is. I think what an idiot he is. You always watch a game. You know, you worked your whole life to get to a point where you got big-time concerts. Nobody really playing for North Carolina gives a rat's ass about you. No one playing for Duke gives a rat's ass about you. Nobody really at your concert gives a rat's ass about you except for your music. So why not just go play your music? I don't understand the world we live in. I'm upside down. Fanboys make me crazy. But, hey, look, Eric Church, as they say, you do you. I think that's your doom. To quote my great-grandfather's friend, Chick, who uh, my grandfather got out of jail and let him work odd jobs and live in his house, hey, Darian, that's just dumb. Eric Church, that's just dumb. Uh, Joel Embiid, there are some players in the NBA that you sit there and you listen to and you listen to and you take seriously. And one of those players is not Joel Embiid. One of those players, Steph Curry, hey, Steph Curry, Draymond Green. Now, Draymond Green may talk crazy, but Draymond Green is a really smart basketball player. I'm listening to Draymond Green. I'm listening to Steph Curry. I'm listening to LeBron James. I'm listening, but I ain't listening to Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid seems to me to be kind of a goof. So when Joel Embiid comes out and he criticizes his coaches for not having the, quote, right game plan, match my minutes up to Giannis, he might have a point. You know, I don't know. He might have a point, but I got to tell you, that point gets diminished when I look at Joel Embiid and totality and say, well, he's just kind of a goof. Eh, he's just kind of a clown. That's the problem with being a clown. When you say something serious, people don't necessarily listen. So Joel Embiid criticizes his coach and criticizes the game plan. All right. That'd be like Shaq criticizing a game plan. When Shaq was in college, he did not. I remember we had an All-American named Alan Henderson. We beat Shaq. Shaq actually made 12 out of 12 free throws. You can look it up. But Shaq didn't know who number 44 was. Well, he's a first-team All-American or second, whatever. His name was Alan Henderson. Just didn't know the game plan. Didn't know the opponent, which is fine. Do you. 
But when Embiid talks, I just don't, I don't know. I just don't pay attention to it. I don't know why. I just don't. And I saw him criticize, and I thought, how stupid are you? Uh, The women's Final Four. Here's the deal with the women's Final Four. It is absolute must-see TV. I'm going to watch the women's Final Four for a couple reasons. Number one, I enjoy the competitiveness. I love that Paige Beckers is balling. Now, she got a new NIL deal. Good for Paige. (laughs) But... But Paige Beckers is fun to watch. And Louisville against South Carolina, like Dawn Staley's feisty. You know, she's like that walk-on, a third-string walk-on guy that comes up there and he's all defense, but she's a tough-ass coach too. And her team against Louisville, who has a tough-ass coach as well, Jeff Waltz, that's going to be a hell of a game. I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to watch UConn-Stanford. You talk about iconic last year's national champions, Stanford Cardinals, Tara Vanderveer against Gino Oriema. I Look, hey, I understand we all get tied up, and rightfully so, in who has what, what's my locker room look like, weight room, all that kind of stuff, and that's great. We should. But the truth of the matter is I like watching these teams play. I don't think the basketball is great. I'm not going to lie to you, and I'll probably get crushed for that. I don't think – like I've seen shots hit the bottom of the backboard. I mean, whatever. But I do think that the competition is awesome. And I do think watching Paige Beckers is really a lot of fun. I do think watching Aaliyah Boston is really a lot of fun. And the the lady, I don't know, again, you got to say the right words. uh, Or unless you have 22 civil suits against you, you know, only the person with 22 civil suits does anybody not come at. But a 59-year-old bald white guy, if I say the wrong name. So the young ladies or the older ladies, I don't know, which way do I do it? I can't decide. What do I do? What do I do? The women playing for, excuse me, Louisville. I got to make sure I say it right. I actually said the word bitching to a couple of guys in a lady and people lost their mind on it. Anyway, Van Hilden, or whatever the heck her name is, uh, at 29 and 4, she's terrific. She's absolutely terrific. I love watching her play. I'm going to get her name right so I, I don't have, well, you don't even know. No, I don't know. Uh-uh. Oh, oh yeah, Van Leaf. She's awesome. She's fantastic. There's nobody, Haley Van Leaf. there's nobody that's a bigger advocate for women's sports than me. I say it every day. But if you don't say the words properly, oh, my, did you call them girls? Hell, you can't even go to Disney and call anybody boys and girls anymore. I'm telling you, the world is absolutely freaking insane. friend of mine just said, I had a friend named Chick. <laughs> he had a muscle car. <laughs> oh, the East Coast office is the best. My East Coast office. All right, the Lions are okay with moving the number two pick. Duh. I'd get rid of that number two pick. I'd find a quarterback. But here's the deal. This kid up here, Hutchinson, when I do the show, I've got a camera right here, a laptop here, I've got a screen here where I look at my ugly ass self. I hate it. I wish I could get the return on this big screen. And then over here, I've got my television on. So I see if there's any breaking news and I can report on it. Well, what's a guy's name? Aiden Hutchinson. What the hell is his name? Whatever the hell his name is, Hutchinson, the kid from Michigan who was absolutely god-awful in the college football playoffs. He's walking in his uniform flexing. And I'm thinking to myself, 
the same thing Father Ward told me at Andre in high school when I was rubbing my biceps. He goes, hey, Doc, it's don't worry, water them, they'll grow. I felt the same way. I felt the same way about freaking uh, Aiden Hutchinson. Don't do that. Don't do that. I don't even know if his name is Aiden, whatever the hell his name is. Hutchinson. He got dominated. And, and I don't like him. I'm not sure why I don't like him. He's a college kid. I should like him. But when I watch him, I'm like, yeah, okay. So if you've got the second pick in the draft, if you have this number two pick in the NFL draft, who the hell are you drafting? Hey, you know that Willis kid, he really moved up. Oh, really? It makes you wonder, will the NFL and Roger Goodell tell teams who to draft based on diversity? Well, they say, hey, look, you know, this Willis, he needs to be drafted ahead. I mean, if you're telling everybody uh, that you got to hire people based on diversity, do you have to draft people now based on diversity? Of course, people are going to say, no, of course not. Really? All right. If you think so, but I wonder. I don't know. Hutchinson, maybe he's Joey Bosa. Maybe he's Aaron Donald. But I don't see it. So if I have the number one or number two pick in the draft, man, that's like a pox. You got to pay a dude. You got to, even more importantly, all right, even more importantly, these guys that you would draft number one and number two, and you can go all through their, uh, you can go all through their, the mock lists. You got to listen to them. Now, I want you to think about this. One of the worst things about coaching and general managing is you got to listen to players. It's like I tell young coaches. Nobody wants to hear a young coach talk. Truthfully, if we're all being honest, when you're sitting there and you're an adult and players start talking, I don't know. That's why I go with the Tony Kornheiser theory on my radio show. I really don't want players on my radio show. I don't really want players here. The only player that I want is Duncan Robinson. Duncan Robinson is an interesting dude. Duncan Robinson is a really interesting dude. So I want him on my show, somebody like that. Draymond Green, when I was working in the Big Ten or I was working uh, for ESPN doing Big Ten games, Draymond Green, I liked. I liked talking to Draymond Green. He was an interesting interview. But if you're drafting somebody number one because, well, frankly, somebody's got to go number one, I want it to be like John Elway. Or I want it to be like, I don't know, who was number one last year? Do we even know? I I, I don't know. Somebody that I know is going to elevate the franchise to a different level. Like if Aaron Donald was the number one pick, you'd go, hey, man, I'll listen to you. But I don't want to have to listen to a number one draft choice talk about being a number one draft choice when everybody and their mother knows he ain't a number one draft choice. It's only a matter that the draft stinks. So I'm getting rid of that number two pick. Like curb your enthusiasm out of spite. I'm getting rid of it out of spite because I don't want to listen to the number two draft pick talking about it. I don't want to listen to it because I know he's not really a number two draft pick. He's a guy we had to pick number two number two draft. Well, you know, we're really, it's like I recruited a kid in Indiana named Robbie Foster. Could not play dead. Couldn't play a lick. 
I mean, not a lick. But Coach Knight, this true story, Coach Knight saw him running at Fairfax High School in Los Angeles. Saw him running like the coach, Harvey Katana. So Knight's like, go out and see Robbie Foster. Tell me what you think. He's playing three on three. He can't play a lick. Not dead. Knight still likes him. So we bring in Robbie Foster on a visit. And we're sitting on a couch and Knight's talking to him. And he, Robbie Foster looks at Knight and he goes, Coach, you, you, you give me a scholarship. I guarantee you we win two national championships. And that's what I did. Robbie Foster, I don't think he ever played a minute at Indiana. Robbie Foster got to Indiana, decided he was going to skip a workout in the morning and send a note from his, quote, doctor. Think about that. He was going to send a note from his doctor. The note said, hey, please excuse Robbie Foster. We checked him out this morning. Well, unbeknownst to Robbie, our trainer knows every doctor. There was no doctor by whatever the hell the guy's name is. That's just talk. And that's what whoever is the first or second pick in the draft is. Just talk. They're the draft choice because somebody's got to get drafted. So I'm sitting there, and if I'm the Detroit Lions, I'm like, I ain't listening to this crap. Give me a quarterback. Give me somebody else. Hell, I don't know. Let's do that. I don't need a Robbie Foster. I, I don't even know if Robbie Foster played college basketball anywhere. I'd have to look. I'm sure he went back to Carolina. And did something somewhere, I guess. But that's the deal. All right. But my scouts say Hutchinson's a badass. Would have gone ahead of Quiddy Pay. All right, never mind. If he would have come out earlier. 14 sacks, six and a half tackles for loss, two forced fumbles a senior. Quiddy Pay had 11 and a half sacks over his entire career. Oh, boy. Never mind. No, he's not. I'm telling you he's not. He got to play against Maryland, although so did Quiddy Pay. I got to rethink this. He got to play against Indiana when Indiana was absolutely awful. Yeah, that's right. If, if the guy who just sent me that text says that Hutchinson is a badass, Hutchinson is a badass, period, period. That's what I got. So I rescind everything. No, I don't. No, I refuse to admit it. I will not admit that this is anything other than uh, a mistake. Trade the second pick. None of these guys are any good. None of these guys. Look, I go by, do I want them coming to the Colts? And the answer is, yeah, I don't care. I got quitty pay. I got quitty pay in a media that fawns. Do I have, do I have the great Clay Travis now? I like it. All right, let's go through a few things. Before, I don't have you for long. You're a man about town. You're, you're, you're nice enough to join us, and we appreciate it. Your final four thoughts. What are you thinking in this final four? Um, I, look, I love Duke UNC being able to play again, uh, even though I understand some people are tired of the Coach K farewell tour. Um, I, I think that's a pretty fabulous, uh, pretty fabulous matchup. Um, and... Uh, I tend to think that that UNC, I mean, 
uh, has been matching up well with Duke. Uh, I watched the Coach K goodbye game. Um, I like the way UNC is playing down the stretch. Uh, I, I like UNC and the as the underdog there with the points. Um, on the other side, Kansas really seems to have hit their stride. And, and I know Jay Wright's team has, uh, has been dominant in the postseason. I think the stat is, you know better than me, that these four teams represent seven uh, of the last 13 national championships and uh, and certainly will be eight of 14 before all is said and done. And we know UNC and Duke and Kansas are blue bloods. And Jay Wright, I mean, I, I think and honestly, it's, it's underrated what he's been capable of achieving at Villanova because, and again, you're the college basketball expert, but Villanova was kind of the team that stole the upset win over Georgetown back in the day and otherwise was not was kind of an afterthought. I mean, I know I went to school on the East Coast, the the Philly college basketball universe uh, and uh, the Big Five and how those matchups all go is uh, is pretty fantastic from a college basketball uh, standpoint. But up until the last, what, 12 or 13 years, it doesn't feel like Villanova had ever mattered on a major national stage other than that one run back in what, 1985. I think I'm, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And so, uh, and so to me, this is Villanova kind of trying to establish as they're in this uh, sort of uh, tall universe of, uh, of dominant programs that they are an elite one. And I think the question is, uh, do they have staying power if Jay Wright were to leave? And I'm not sure what the answer to that is. Uh, but uh, but to me, it's a pretty good uh, it's a pretty good Final Four. And I know everybody out there always says, "Oh, we want more Cinderellas, we want more underdogs." What the public overwhelmingly shows us, based on their viewership, is they want the blue blood programs. And it makes sense, right? Because by the time you get to the Final Four, when you're bringing in a lot of casual fans. People want to have an opinion, love them or hate them. Everybody has an opinion on Duke uh, and uh, and Kansas to a certain extent. And that's good for college basketball. You have to pick a side. You either love or hate one of these programs. And uh, and ultimately, I think that's going to lead to a uh, to a probably uh, pretty significant uh, amount of interest as we roll into Saturday and Monday. Tell you this, man. You're Hubert Davis. You eliminate K from coaching. You yeah. win a Final yeah. Four game against K, and you know you eliminate lifetime contract, man. Just let's I mean, go. Yeah, it's I mean, it's one even, of those things that's, it's that's so year. great. Is rivalry games matter? Obviously, on a different level, uh, as every fan understands. What is the value of winning the final game at uh, Cameron Indoor with Coach K? And then what would the value be to legitimately ending his career uh, with a loss in the Final Four? 40 regular season games? 50 regular season games, right? What is the multiple of importance for this Final Four game as it pertains to the overall rivalry? I think there's a lot of people out there that would say, okay, I would trade you know, certainly 10, maybe 20 uh, years of losses in, in rivalry games. Uh, to be able to win potentially one national championship and advance to a national championship game by beating your biggest rival on the biggest possible stage in the final four. So uh, that to me is a, uh, is a really intriguing and fun debate from a sports fan perspective. Yeah. And the deal is this, man. I mean, you, when you're at North Carolina, you're a Duke and you're an iconic program, you rarely, if ever 
have the chance to have the greatest whatever, meaning the greatest win ever, the greatest yeah, weekend right. ever. And I can make the argument, right? Carolina, they win this national championship and they do it through Duke for the first time they've ever played the NCAA tournament. You can make the argument this would be the greatest weekend in North Carolina basketball history. You can make I that mean, argument. Certainly the, 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 the joy of watching Coach K walk off as a loser would be oh. a, amazing to, to end his career. <laughs> Flip side <laughs> – Flip side, though, that's why I say it's such high risk, high reward. If he mm -hmm. wins and mm -hmm. his final, you know, potential, uh, certainly ACC game, uh, but final game uh, rivalry all time, the loss at Cameron Indoor really gets erased in many people's minds, I think. Uh, so from a uh, from a Duke fan perspective, I would think you uh, you also like it. But again, the risk reward is just so massive in both respects. That's what I love about it. Hey, let me. What's Disney? I don't have you for long. I gotta get it. What What the hell is Disney doing here? What are they I doing? I think they've lost their 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 way. Um, and 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 I think this is bigger picture. One of the issues that arises with big companies now, they're about five percent, maybe ten percent of people that are super woke. Let's start here. I don't know. I mean, I I grew up going to Walt Disney World. We would stay at the campground. Uh, my parents would, that was our family vacations and we would go to Epcot and we'd go to the magic kingdom. That was what my parents liked to do with us, my sister and I, when we were young. Um, and as a part of like the fireworks display or the lights parade or whatever else, they would always say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, right. To try to, uh, to, to speak to everybody that was there. And Disney has decided that isn't inclusive enough. Because evidently there are some people who refuse to acknowledge either gender, right? They, they argue that they're neither male nor female. Well, first of all, that's scientifically inaccurate, right? Like you're a boy or you're a girl regardless, <laughs> right? Um, but why would you make the decision to try to respond to whatever malcontent, tiny subset of people is offended by ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? When the vast majority of the American public is not. And so I think what you're seeing is there is a over-reliance on social media and what the what I call the blue check brigade uh, is obsessed about on a day-to-day -day basis. And if you allow them to dictate your responses, then you end up alienating far more people than you do actually placating by the choice in the first place. So I think what what happens is people don't make the best decision for companies they make the best decision for preserving their own job and uh and, and i think that's where disney is right now and also i mean so much of this is just a lie right i mean i was down we had dinner with uh florida governor ron DeSantis, buck and i did my radio show co-host on uh tuesday night in florida um and obviously that's when this thing really was kind of taking off but You've got kids. I've got kids. I had public school kids. I have public school kids now. I don't think it's controversial to say that kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and third graders shouldn't be instructed in sex-related issues, whether it's gay issues, transgender issues, straight sex, whatever it is. Like Five to eight-year-olds don't really need to have that as a part of their instruction. Let's focus on math. Let's focus on reading. Uh, let's focus on the bare bones, the basics of education. And uh, the fact that this has somehow ended up being controversial 
most parents say, yeah, that makes sense. The fact that we need to have a law uh, to, uh, to, to protect against the instruction of sex-related issues for kindergarten through third grade uh, seems to me to be a sign of, of how much we're getting wrong. But that's where we are right now with this, uh, this craziness going on in Disney. And I think, you know, candidly, a lot of people are canceling Disney Plus as a, uh, as a form of protest because Disney is the preeminent children's entertainment company in the world. And I think a lot of parents are saying, why is this company of the opinion that sex education needs to start for five-year-olds? Um, I, I think there are a lot of parents asking that question. My daughter is, I think I've told you, the school teacher in your kid's school district. Oh, yeah, yeah, Tennessee, yeah. And I'm not, yeah, yeah, I don't really want to put, she's a fourth grade teacher, and I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I guarantee you she does not, she doesn't. Teachers don't want to be teaching sex education to three, uh, four, a kindergarten, first, second, crazy. third. Now, you see some whack jobs, you know, you see crazy people on Twitter that want to do it. But the majority of teachers, they want to teach what? Reading, writing, arithmetic, influence. They don't want to teach this. Yeah, I right? think that's, So even from the other side, they don't I, want to I do this. I think that's 100% accurate. And uh, one of the things that has happened, I think, as a result of COVID is, one, uh, parents have gotten more aware and more involved in what their kids are learning on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that's because so much of schooling became home. Uh, based and parents were more the remote schooling they were more aware maybe than they would have been in the past and uh, I also think that uh, that there has been as a part of that acknowledgement of what's going on a lot more parents have realized that they need to be involved in their kids education and uh, and and that there is a lot of things that have absolutely nothing to do with education at all that are a substantial portion of this story overall. Hey, I want to, before I let you go, two things. One, it, 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 are these companies so big that they can handle, you know, people not necessarily well, boycotting? Are they so big that they can handle this? Uh, and, and number two, where does this all stop? So, where, where does this like? The, it, yeah, so ahead. the first part of that is I, I think the calculation of the companies has been. We need to placate the angry five or 10 percent that is offended by ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, because by and large, there's a lot of people I would say who are like me that say, hey, let's just have a content neutral space. I don't need Disney to advocate for political beliefs that I also agree with. I just want Disney to focus on making entertaining kids movies and I want them to focus on making, right. you know, if I go to Disney World. I want them to focus on making the concession line as short as possible. And I want to be able to get on Space Mountain without having to stay in, stand in line for four hours, right? I think that's the general consensus of most parents out there, right? In, in general. Um, the question that you're asking is, are enough of those parents going to become angry by the woke genuflection, uh, for lack of a better way of describing it, that they are willing to adjust their behavior in a way that it has some sort of substantial impact on Disney's bottom line. I would like to think so, because I think that's almost the only way to return to neutrality, right? You have to, if somebody's going to walk up, because I understand people say, well, why do you even worry about stuff like this? At some point, if somebody keeps walking up, and I'm, I'm talking about it, you know, metaphorically from a parent's perspective, if somebody just kept walking up and slapping you in the face, 
And you just kept saying, I don't know what we have to fight. And you like, you consistently turn the other cheek. You get slapped. You're like, okay, uh, I'm just going to, you know, take it, get slapped, going to take it, going to take it. At some point you have to say, wait a minute, like this other side is not willing to engage in neutrality. Like they want to really kick my ass. (laughs) And I think a lot of people are realizing that the options are you either throw a punch back or you just keep getting slapped in the face and losing these fights that you don't believe should even exist. That's where I think a lot of parents are. That's where I think a lot of people are, um, you know, even in the world of sports uh, who would like to have some form of normalcy, but just aren't able to do it. Hey, last thing, are people watching these shows? You, you know, I, like I watch all these shows. Do, are people watching these? Are ratings up at ESPN or are numbers down at Disney? I mean, where? I think, yeah, one, the ratings matter less at this point. Disney's basically a streaming company, right? Um, and so right. how yeah. many people are like, the, I would say the number one thing you could do if you're upset with Disney is cancel your Disney Plus subscription. That's the thing that would gut punch them the most, uh, because I think what these companies have to recognize is it's a lot easier to cancel a streaming service than it is to cancel cable, right? Like if you have cable or satellite, there's a lot involved in deciding, hey, I'm not going to have my cable service anymore. You probably got a box somewhere that you got to return. You may have it got satellite. You got some sort of satellite on the side of your house that you have to figure out how to turn off. It's not as easy. There's wires running into your house. You may have internet also connected uh, to your cable and satellite subscription. There's probably a lot of people out there who are like, oh, you know what? Yeah, you're making a point. I understand that now. But canceling a streaming service is super easy, right? You just, I mean, it, it's, it's basically like a, a snap of the fingers. And so I am curious whether when things like this bubble up, I would love to see the data from inside of Disney right now because I bet just based on people who are sending me messages and sending me emails, there's got to be tens of thousands of people minimum that have made the decision to cancel Disney Plus over this Disney story in general. Uh, and, uh, and and by the way, it might be from both sides, right? There might be people canceling because they're angry because Disney wasn't outspoken enough in favor of transgender and gay issues or whatever it is. And certainly there's people who are fired up that are canceling that way, which is why, from a business perspective, if I'm Disney, I don't want to ever make any decisions that choose uh, in any way between one political party or the other, because we live in a 50-50 nation. And if Disney only services 50% of the country, their business doesn't exist anymore. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Right. Uh, it's it's a fascinating thing. I know you're busy as hell. I appreciate the 15 minutes, man. Great stuff. Happy Thanks, to Clint. do it whenever, my man. Keep up the good work. I appreciate it. See y'all. We'll be right back. We're going to take a short break here. We're rolling. I mean rolling right now with Don't At Me. And, of course, you don't want to miss it. 
Stay tuned right here for more Don't At Me. You got it. That's Clay Travis. Uh, Interesting stuff. We're going to keep the conversation going, man. My guy Jason Hammer is on the line. Uh, Jason, I know you were on right there. What would you think? Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Did I lose you? Hang on a second. What did I do? I don't have Jason. I can't hear him in my ear. Am I screwing something up? Hello. 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 Hey, Dylan, do you have? Hey, Jason. There we go. Now we're connected. Hey, what you were listening. What'd you think of what Clay had to say? Clay's right. Disney is a streaming company now. That's who they are. Listen, if you've got plans to go to Florida, to go to Disney, there's a chance you're not going to cancel that. That's a lot of money invested. You're not going to do that. But what you can do if you're upset about the direction that that company is going in is cancel your streaming subscription. That's where Disney's making most of their money right now, the streaming services. So if you're somebody that's upset, Clay is 100% right. Cancel your streaming service. What did you think about that? What do you, we can't say boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen? What the hell can we, what are we doing in this country? Well, that's a loaded question, coach. How much time do you have? I, I, I got Jesus. four hours oh, this afternoon to talk about that. I got four <laughs> hours every day to kind of go down that road. Um, listen, this is God. what happens when people decide to vote on things that are not serious issues. Okay. Donald Trump was not elected president because he was unlikable. He had mean tweets. Let's be honest. That was really the main thing. He was not likable. I, on the other hand, I'm not somebody that needs to be friends with my president. I'm never going to hang out with him. I'm never going to have a beer with him. I'm never going to go to a ball game with him. I don't care if he's a rotten SOB that cheats on his wife left or right. I really don't. Can you make the economy good? Can you secure the border? Can you make sure this country has the strongest, most dominant military in the world? Those are the things that matter to me. Now, if that makes me the dinosaur, then I'm the dinosaur. I agree. I've said forever, and this is wrong. I get it until gas prices go down and then the the Biden administration takes credit. Do me a favor, President. I don't want to hear the word inflation. Well, we've heard the word inflation. Right. Uh, uh, Hey, look, I want gas prices down. Well, gas prices are up and I want the stock market up for me personally. And people lose their mind. Well, you don't care about what? No. Hey, look, I I care about everything. I'm just telling you for my whole life. This is what I want. Uh, Why do we keep saying Ellison Williams was great on this topic. Why do we keep calling this bill in Florida that don't say gay bill? It says nothing about that. What is this about? No, this bill, and you can find it online. It's all over the place. It's seven pages. It's 163 lines. It's 1,462 words. You can find it. You can read it. And at no point in all of that will you find the phrase, don't say gay. Coach, this has nothing to do with the gay community. That has nothing to do with the trans community. This has everything to do with Ron DeSantis. Because the Florida governor is a threat. There are some places where Ron DeSantis polls better than Donald Trump in terms of who do you want to be the next president of the United States. That scares the hell out of the left. The left wants Donald Trump to run again because they can dig up all the old stuff. They can pull the whole orange man bad routine. Um, They feel like they can beat Donald Trump again, despite all the hell that's breaking loose right now. With Ron DeSantis, it's like 
Trump without the baggage. It's a guy that's been loyal to his wife. It's a guy that served his country. It's a guy that has kind of said all the same things, but you don't have the baggage that Donald Trump has. And that scares the hell out of the left. So this is their attempt to make Ron DeSantis the boogeyman here, this anti-gay boogeyman. And if you watch the national news coverage of this bill, it's funny how they conveniently leave out the fact that it's kindergarten through third grade. We're not talking about a high school civics class. We're not talking about some sort of junior, senior, 17, 18-year-old discussion. Kindergartners and third graders. I think if you ask most people in this country, do you want your kindergartner to learn about sex, to talk about sex, to know what transgender is, to know non-binary and all this crap, it's going to be an overwhelming no. And the left knows that. And this is why they're trying their damnedest to make Ron DeSantis, the boogeyman, try to jump out in front of it. Man, I, I, I've said forever, if Sister Geraldine came up to me and my boys and girls in high in grade school in third grade and said, how boys, girls, we want to talk to you about whether you're a boy or a girl. Shut <laughs> up. We're going out and playing. And I'm, hey, look, I, I, and that's probably insensitive. Who gives I don't a know. damn? Maybe there Who is gives a damn if it's I, insensitive? I, I, yeah. It's time for parents to stop I'm, worrying about just, being sensitive, coach. I, I'm a parent. My kids are older now. But if I had a kindergartner and I saw this uh, teacher, gay teacher, outspokenly gay teacher on MSNBC the other night, complaining physically oh. and verbally complaining that he can't talk to his kindergartners anymore about his social life on the weekends because of this bill from Ron DeSantis. When the hell did these teachers start talking about their love life with the kindergartners? When I was a kindergartner, I don't remember any of this crap. Did this happen? We weren't aware of it. It's, it's ridiculous, Coach. And the parents have to step up and be the ones that say, I don't care what ist you want to call me here. We're not going to talk about who you dated over the weekend to my kindergartner through my third grader. Please teach them English. Please teach them math. If they have any problems with reading, please let me know. I appreciate what you do. But the minute you start talking about your personal life, your dating life, who you went on a paddle boat date with, we're going to have a situation here, and I have no problem being the bad guy. How do you, as a teacher, even give a rat's ass about talking to kindergartens about that? I, I saw that interview, and I'm sitting there going, well, why would you even why, – why? this guy was all sad, or he tried to act all right. sad. Shut up. Honest to God, like, why would you? Well, you know, my little bit, my daughter's a fourth grade teacher, and I'm going to, I, I can't imagine that she wants to talk about this stuff. I can't imagine there's a world where a teacher, other than some ble bleeding heart, whiny ass, uh, I'm no good at my job, so I'm trying to change the, I don't even know what you're trying to do. I don't, it just makes me insane. Did you ever care? That, that folks- Did you ever care what your teacher no. was doing on the weekends? Like maybe when you got into no. high school, you're like, hey, that teacher's kind of no. hot. I, you know, that kind of thing. But from kindergarten through high school, did you ever give a blue rat's ass about what your teacher no. was doing? over the weekend? I know I didn't. The only thing I remember in first grade was the girl next to me peeing. <laughs> That's what I remember. Kids in my school, I went to Catholic school, we, you know, girl wore a skirt, I looked over, I'm not going to say her name, and 
she peed on the floor. And I remember the teacher telling me later how nice I was that I didn't embarrass her. I, I went and talked to the teacher privately. That's literally the only thing. If some dude or some lady is sitting there going, even if they're heterosexual, I don't even care. Hey, you know what? My, my girlfriend and I, we went, I'm in kindergarten. Right. I'm in first grade. Coach, Jesus, it was a different time the back hell? then because I also have a pee story. Uh, around second grade, there was a young lady that got sent to the corner because she was acting up and she really had to go. And I think the teacher forgot about her. So she went on the floor. And this was, again, around second grade. So the teacher made her go to the bathroom, come back with these soiled underpants, put them on the register in the classroom so they were dry. So these pee panties were oh. wafting up with the heat in the classroom, coach. Now that I'm not into, but hey, <laughs> God dang, we, uh, hey, let me tell you about my canoeing trip with my boyfriend <laughs> this weekend, and I'm, I, I don't care if you're a guy or a girl. Uh, 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 uh. All right, uh, when, when is this craziness going to stop? Midterms is probably the first step toward it, but let's not give the Republicans, like, all the benefit of the doubt here, because when Donald Trump was elected president, right. he had all of the things. And the Republicans still found a way to screw it up because there's always going to be a Mitt Romney in the Senate. There's always going to be a little guy like Kenzinger in the House that stirs the pot. They're going to have to find a way to come together. It can't be so dysfunctional. Like we're sitting here laughing at the hellhole that the Democrats are. Like it's a party divided. You've got the super leftist lunatics and you've got Joe Biden who doesn't know what day it is. But at the same time, the Republicans... When they have power, what would you say you do here? Let me ask you, if I'm a Republican candidate, I'm not going to sleep. You can't go to sleep in this new voting age that we have. You better stay the hell awake and you better get some people at those polls because I'm looking at this and 81 million votes and don't anybody ever tell me there's no such thing as voter fraud. I grew up in Northwest Indiana. A good friend of mine, I've said this forever, is in freaking Greece after getting not only indicted, but tried and convicted in federal court of voter fraud. He took off to Greece. There's no Interpol. Don't tell me. A guy came to my house to try to sign up the lot next to our house <laughs> to vote. There was no house on that lot. My dad said, hey, I'm not going to say the guy's name. He was a friend of my dad. We don't own the lot. The people next door own the lot. Don't tell me there's no such thing as voter fraud. So you Republicans, and I do mean this, Jason, that think that the midterms are going to be such a breeze, you better get your ass up. You better stay up all night because all of a sudden out of somebody's freaking uh, glove box, there's going to be a thousand votes show up. Don't at me, people, because that happens and I don't want to hear it. There and you go. prior to that, it's these wishy-washy, soft Republican governors that allow all of this to happen. Right. When we saw what happened in Georgia with the election, the pallets full of ballots that they found at 3 a.m. Like, was anybody surprised about that? No. You know whose fault that was? No. It wasn't anybody's fault except for the soft ass governor of Georgia. Ryan Kemp was the one that allowed all of this ballot harvesting crap to go down because he's scared to death of fighting against Stacey Abrams. Rooms. He's scared to death against, you know, being called some sort of is. And he's not the only one. Indiana has a really soft ass Republican governor, too. So, again, much like the Disney conversation, much like the parents conversation, politics go the same way. You have to reach that breaking point to where you just don't care what people say anymore. You have to do with what you think is right.
A friend of mine just sent me a text. I was born in East Chicago. How can I not be a little crooked? (laughs) It's exactly right. How many governors Uh, went uh, to federal prison? Oh, in the state of Illinois. Right. Everyone, right? I mean, there was a stretch there where like five seven, I believe, went to federal pound me in the you-know-what prison. We're not talking about some halfway house. We're talking about some real crooked kind of stuff going on here. Yeah, Blagojevich had to take off his hairpiece. What? I mean, what? What are we doing? I mean, even wasn't it wasn't a hairpiece. I don't know. But I, I t- hey, look. I want everybody to look me in the eye. I get called an ist every single day. Who cares? Right. Just be honest. Just be a human being. Just be people. Go ahead. Oh, I'm with you, Coach. I'm with you. Um, it's an interesting time, and if you're not afraid to stand up and speak out, please do so. Because if you sit back. What did the left say all during the summer of love, right? 2020. Silence is compliance. Okay, well, I'm going to take that same approach right. and I'm going to use that to school board meetings. I'm going to take that same approach and I'm going to use it to my local elections, my midterm elections, and of course the national. Yeah, is science compliance, you women's groups in Cleveland, when all of a sudden Deshaun Watson with not one, not 10, not 15, not 20, not 21, but 22 civil cases, is science compliance in that? I don't know, man. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. All right. Uh, How about this? Um, Guy says, hey, can you guys not talk about little girls peeing so much? All I know is that's the only thing I remember in first grade. First grade. That's I, I mean, it. I'm sorry. That's all like, I that remember. That kind of traumatized me. Like it traumatized me a little bit. The wafting aroma of peed on panties in the classroom, and it was December, so the heat was on. So the heat is like cooking the pee in and, the room. Oh, and and that's the point is, first grade. That's what you think. That's that's. <laughs> anyway, uh, I guarantee you, everybody that is listening to this. Is not. I know in third grade I learned how to go multiply this and you got to get to this, and it was a pain in the ass. I also know my friend Freddie Viana, who's a big shot attorney in Indy, called my show and he said it's the first time I ever saw somebody flip another person off when I flipped off Sister Geraldine in third nice. grade. True story. My parents were third. <laughs> my parents were third grade <laughs> teachers in Gary, Indiana. I went to this little Catholic school. I got. How about this meeting? How about in third grade having to go? to Sister Anastasia getting kicked out of Sister Geraldine's class, me and Andy Atar, moved into Mrs. Jacobs' class, and your parents come in, and your mother's a third-grade teacher. And the nun says, Sister Geraldine says, Mrs. Dockage, your son Daniel is the worst student I've ever had in 35 years of teaching, and my mother was a third-grade teacher. Wow. Bad business. To be the worst student in Gary, to be the problem kid in the Gary area, what the hell is wrong with you? I was strong back then. (laughs) I was strong. Me and Andy Atar. Andy would flip pencils into the ceiling, and I would flip off a nun. What a world we live in. All right, let's make some money. You're nine and three on this show, big boy. We got the final four coming up. As they say in that one song, give it to me, baby. Oh, we're going to give it to you, coach. We're going to start with Rock Chalk Jayhawk, the fighting Scott Pollards of Kansas. Uh, Shout out to my buddy Scott. Uh, I'm going to lay the four and a half here. Listen, Villanova has been really good. I like the Gillespie kid, but he's not going to be the best player on the floor. The Abaji kid's going to be the best player on the floor here. Villanova, normally they can out 
coach out basketball teams, right? Like they know their system. They know what they want to accomplish. They're not going to be able to do that against Kansas. Kansas does what Villanova does, but I think they do it with better athletes. I think this is a close game. I can even see Villanova getting out to a little bit of a lead early. But we saw with Kansas the second half. When they decide that it's winning time, it's winning time. I'll lay the four and a half and give you the Jayhawks, Coach. Yeah, look, I'm with you on that, by the way. And it's not like... Villanova, and, and to your point about the first half, it's not like Nova is just going to lay down because Justin Moore is hurt. I mean, look, they had a, they didn't have Colin Gillespie last year. I mean, let's be honest. I, I'm all I'm all in on that one too. I think ultimately, ultimately, throughout the course of the game, both teams terrific defensively. I think I'll give the four and a half. I'd like to get rid of that hook, but I'm with you. All right, over under 151, North Carolina Duke. You nail over unders, by the way. You are over under man. Well, now that you've completely jinxed the hell out of me, I'm going to tell you that I'm going to ride the under on this yeah. one here. Uh, the public is in on the over. All of these experts are saying over. To me, I'm looking at this as this is the third time these teams have played. This is a game that nobody wants to lose. I mean, nobody wants to lose a Final Four game, but Duke and North Carolina, Coach K trying to get revenge here. I think you're going to see a physical basketball game here. I don't think you're going to see the run and gun, the alley-oops that you would normally associate with these two teams. I think you're going to see teams that want to smack each other in the mouth. You're going to see Bonchero. You're going to see Manic. I love this matchup of the big guys here. Um... Third time they're meeting, things slow down. Every coach knows what the other team is wanting to do. 151 is a big number. There's a lot of talent on the floor, but I think you get out to a slow start. This is kind of a slugfest, and I'm going to ride the under on this one. Yeah, I'm staying away from that, but I see what you're saying. I do think a slow start is what's going to happen, but I also think this. Both of these teams can get up and down, obviously. Let's see. 87-67, uh, so that was 154, uh, and 91-81, so history is against you. But I don't disagree with the slow start, which could end up, you know, end up being a 72-70 game, something like that. I'm not, I'm not touching that over-under, but I understand what you're saying. And you, in fact, are Mr. Over-Under. You're Mr. Degenerate Bet. And you're, you're Mr. Over-Under. Uh, Brady Manick, you like a little Brady Manick in this, eh? I like this rebound prop here. Um, you can find this in most sports books. Over or under five rebounds for Brady Manick. Uh, the big transfer from Oklahoma who's been huge for North Carolina. Um, as big as the dude is, as active as the dude is, if he stays out of foul trouble, five rebounds will find their way to Brady Manick. If he can stay on the floor, He's got a tough matchup defensively, but when you look at his rebound totals throughout this NCAA tournament, uh, they've been over five. So I have no reason to believe that in this game where Duke's going to get a lot of shots up, you know, Duke's not a team that's willing to take the air out of the basketball, but I think the opportunity is going to be there for the big fella if he can stay out of foul trouble. I'm going to take a flyer and go over five rebounds for Manic. 
You know, I like that. I, there's two really good rebounders in this. I think Mark uh, Mark Williams for Duke is a really good rebounder, and I think Bancar or Baycott is a really good rebounder. But to your point, I do think this is going to be a little up and down. I do think there's going to be a lot of missed shots, and I do think that Manic could be around it because Manic is a pretty good offensive rebounder too. Defensive rebounds aren't the only way to rebound. I'll tell you something else. I think there'll be some free throws in this game where, you know, because both teams like to get the ball into the paint, they like to touch the paint off the drive. And, hey, a rebound free throw, guess what that counts as? A rebound! And the dude likes to so mix I'm it up, man. You, dude boy. likes to mix it up. Got tossed out of a game a couple games ago. Not afraid to throw some elbows. Not afraid to mix it up a little bit. Doesn't care what All-American Dukes got lined out there. You know, he. this is why he went to North Carolina. This is why he transferred. I think five is very doable here. I do, too. Hey, who do you got winning the national championship? Kansas. I think Kansas is the best team in the tournament. I had them to win in my bracket earlier. Um, I just think that that backcourt, man, they're solid. They can defend. Uh, they're well coached. And the road for Kansas was paved pretty easy, right? Of all the number one seeds, I know they weren't number one Gonzaga, but I thought Kansas had the easiest road to the final four. And now you're getting Villanova, which is going to be challenging. But, man, I think Kansas is the cream of the crop up here. Yeah, I think just I think Justin Moore being out, you know, if you've got to play in a Final Four, uh, uh, Jay Wright told me on, on my show in Indy earlier this week that he thought Justin Moore, he thinks Justin Moore, he knows Justin Moore is their best player. And you take that out? You take the best player out on a team you're playing in the Final Four. Let me tell you something, Hammer Time. You take that every minute of every day. And take a look at the under. Take a look at the under on Gillespie's point total, too. Because if you're Kansas, now you can basically just isolate on Gillespie and make somebody else beat you. Uh... Great stuff today, man. I really appreciate you taking a few minutes. You can hear it. What do you got on your show today? 3 to 7 WIBC and yep. Indy. 3 to 7, 93 WIBC. And then I'm doing my sports betting program right after that program, 7 to 8 on 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis. If you're watching somewhere outside of Indy, stream the bejesus out of it. Yeah, just stream. What do you got on the show on uh, IBC? What do you who who you got? What do you? Well, got? my normal co-host is out. He's on spring break, so I've got former Colts cheerleader Mindy Winkler uh, filling in for my radio partner. So I'm going to see how close I can get to uh, being sent to HR today, Coach. Oh, jeez. <laughs> again. Again. <laughs> again. I know you got a hit. Appreciate the time, my friend. Thank you. That. That is Jason Hammer, at Jason Hammer. You can follow him on Twitter. It's a terrific show on WIBC uh, 93.1 in Indianapolis. A fantastic, fantastic show. It's called Hammer and Nigel. And look, if you want to know politics, and they're not, look, they're, here's the deal with guys like me. I don't have a political party. I mean, I know people say you're an ist. I know that. Okay, fine. I don't. I'm common sense. Like, I don't understand being married to an ideology of a political party. I just don't understand that. I grew up, everybody was Democrat. My father uh, was a, uh, whatever, lobbyist uh, for the teachers union in Indiana. I get older and I don't care. Like, I'm trying to do my thing. You do whatever you do. Now you get a little bit older and you see what's happening in the world. You try to do common sense. It's that simple. The ideology of you got to be on the left, you got to be on the right, you got it just drives me nuts. I don't understand it. 
I would imagine both parties have smart things to say if you really dig deep enough. I know smart. I know both parties have idiotic things to say. So think for yourself. That's why I'm so happy to be here on OutKick. When I was at ESPN, you couldn't talk. Oh, man, Seth Greenberg and I actually tweeted during a debate, and it was like, well, you guys can't do that. Really? All right. All right. I mean, we, you know. And if you didn't have guys like Jalen Rose, if you didn't have, you know, all these guys that are still trying to divide you, you know, we got the first so-and-so to do. Okay, great. Treat everybody you like. Treat everybody the same. How about we do that? Uh, Ball State's got a new coach. Ball State's coach is a man named Mike Lewis. I love Mike Lewis. I recruited Mike Lewis to be uh, a basketball player at Indiana. If you want to see who Mike Lewis is, Google Mike Lewis, Bob Knight. You'll see Mike Lewis screaming at Bob Knight in a huddle. It wasn't either his finest moment, but that's all right. The truth of the matter is Mike became a terrific head uh, coach. Mike was the assistant coach uh, at uh, UCLA these last couple of years. They went on a magical Final Four run. Uh, Mike then took the Ball State job. Mike is now the head coach at Ball State. He just started there a week ago, and I want to have Mike on. He's coming on in a couple of minutes, and we're going to talk to Mike about Final Four runs, why Ball State, what he sees in this Final Four, and what he sees ahead for the Ball State Cardinals. Mike Lewis is a great dude. I cannot wait to talk to him. I cannot wait for you all to meet him. Chirp, chirp is what Ball State's thing is. I think Indiana's got hoo-hoo Hoosiers, I think. Uh, I also know that, uh, I don't know. <sighs> Man, my man Hammer make you nuts, right? People react. All right, when we come back, Mike Lewis, the head coach, Ball State. We're going to continue to break down the final four. And at the end of this show, I'm going to take exactly what I'm betting on this weekend, including... uh... Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You're going to have to go to my Twitter to know about the women's tournament. I'm not sure about that yet. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. We're going to take a short break here. We're rolling. I mean rolling right now with Don't At Me. And, of course, you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned right here for more Don't At Me. Uh, There's a lot of reasons I wanted to have this guy on, Mike Lewis. Uh, One, he became the head coach at Ball State. And for those of you that know anything about college basketball, Ball State is one of those programs in the MAC that is a national program. People know Ball State. A lot of it's David Letterman, but a lot of it's a run with – Chandler Thompson back in the 90s. A lot of it was a Maui Classic run in 2002. Mike Lewis has been an assistant coach a lot of places, most recently at UCLA. Now he's the head coach. I don't know if you can tell or not, but Mike Lewis is at Ball State. Can anybody tell by the background where Louie is right now? It's awesome. Yes. Hey, I, I, told, I told you before I wanted to do this in my office, but there's, there is zero decorations in there. I need all the help I can to look good, so I just thought I'd come up here and, and sit behind <laughs> or in front of this thing. Yeah, let's pub it, baby. There'll be about 100,000 people view this by the time we're done. Let's get out. Let's get them in front. All right, you're at UCLA, Mecca, that kind of stuff. White Ball State, Louie? Uh, the, the leadership, honestly. Like um, Beth Getz, you know, Jeffrey Mearns, like their, their vision um, for how they see a basketball program fitting into a university – um, the possibility of elevating 
not only an athletic department, but helping elevate a university. Uh, just their vision for what a program can mean um, kind of fell in line with what I've been looking for and, and what I think a basketball program can mean to a university. So, um, you know, to have that type of alignment, I think was huge uh, for me. They want basketball to be good. Uh, I, I'm obviously not coming here to lose. So uh, I want to try to build a program and do it the right way, win games and, and uh, enhance the university. Like I told them when I, when we were talking about the job, like this, I'm different. I'm not like a lot of these other guys. Like I, I want, I don't want to just be known as a basketball coach. Like I want to make a much larger impact um, on Ball State and Muncie than just trying to go win a few basketball games. You know, and, and what is that vision? What is your vision? When you lay it out in front of the players, what are you telling them? Well, one, we want to win. We want to build a, a winning program. And so, you know, they asked, like, what I'm about. I said, I'm about winning. You know, you need to be about winning. If there's anything in your life that doesn't equate to winning, whether that's on the court, in the classroom, in the community, you need to eliminate it. You know, and uh, it, and anything that is good and positive about about what you're trying to do and can equate to winning, like we have to build upon that. So I'm about winning in, in every aspect of life. I'm about um, I want to recruit overachieving, tough, competitive guys that love basketball and love to compete. And I think if you have those guys in your program, you can accomplish everything you want. And I'm not talking about just winning games. Like, I think you can do the things that you want. You put these guys in position to be successful in life. Um, because that's really, to me, that's what this is all about. Like, I, that's why I love coaching college basketball. You're, you're with a group of guys at an age where they're starting to figure things out on their own. And, and you can, I think you can have a real impact on what they, they can accomplish in the next 30 or 40 years. And that's, that's why I, I do this at this level. And you're coming home. I mean, I, you know, that's, is that a big deal? Yeah, it is. It, it is. I mean, obviously, um, you know, for my wife and I living in Los Angeles, it's a lot different Jasper, Indiana now. Like you've been, you've been a Jasper brother. Like it's different. Um, but for, for my wife and I, and, and we got, you know, two daughters, like uh, unbelievable experience to live in Los Angeles and, and the, for them to have that, that uh, in their life. Right. Um, but to have the ability to come back home, um, do it in a state that I'm very familiar with and a state that is familiar with me um, is special. I, I think that's um, set up for success in our program. I, I know where to find the staff. I know where to find players. I know who the guys are who are the power brokers in basketball. I know the high school coaches. I know the AAU coaches. I know the guys that I'm going to recruit are going to be well prepared for college because of the coaching that they're getting at a young age. Hey, Mike, when, when you take over a job, what's the first thing you got to do? Well, I don't know if it's what I have to do, but this is what I've, I've done. Like, I've just tried to spend as much time and be around these players as much as possible. Um, I've got four guys in the portal. I completely understand that. Like, I, I'm not upset with them. Like, I get it. They don't. I'm sure we got, I got young guys that probably went through a full gamut of emotions, like anger, fear, doubt, uncertainty, all the things um, when a change was made. And it's my job to, to get to know them in order for me to lead them. And so I've got to wrap my arms around them, uh, learn about them, learn about what they want to become. Uh, and they have, in turn, in doing that, they will learn about me and realize that all stands to the best place for them. When, when you come over, like you were 
Uh, you mentioned being in L.A., Calabasas. You, you and I, you know, you're an Indiana guy. Um, what can you take from being around? Let's just take Mick Cronin. What can you take that you learned from Mick Cronin that you're going to bring to Ball State? Well, it was different than any other um, experience I've had. When I, like for instance, like when I went to Butler with Brad, he's coming off his second final tour. He's already got his program established. It's just rolling along, right? They're just winning games, recruiting at a high level. Um, being a part of what Mick did at, at UCLA is I was coming in on the front end. I'm, I'm hearing a bunch of background noise. Is that, are you hearing the same thing? Yeah, there's some, yeah, I am. I, I, can we do something about that, Dylan? I got, I'm, I'm hearing Mike in and out. We, is something wrong? Did I screw something up? That's I feel better. like I always screw go. something up. That's perfect. All right. Yeah, go All ahead. Right. Yeah, um, go ahead. So when I, when I got to UCLA, <laughs> we were <laughs> my guys are back here in the background laughing. So they, they got me laughing. Um, I was dying there. I was trying to concentrate, listen to all that. <laughs> um, no, so when I got to UCLA, um, I was on the front end of that. And, and so, you know, it's, it's very similar to what I'm dealing with here at Ball State. We had the same same thing at UCLA. And, and um, watching and being a part of Mick establish his program, how he wanted to operate, how we were going to win um, from the front end, I think is going to be invaluable for me going through this. Because what I learned, like you – you have a standard of how you want to operate and you hold guys to that standard. And if we weren't, we didn't have success early. Like we were, you know, just above 500, just after Christmas, we got in the middle of January and all of a sudden it clicked, you know, and we, we reeled off a bunch of wins, put ourselves in position to be in the NCAA tournament, but the, he never, he never gave in. Like he never sacrificed how he wanted to operate to try to rev some guys up to win one game. You know, because he knew his he knew his vision for his program and where he wanted it to be, you know, in the future. And he wasn't going to sacrifice any of that to try to win one game. He he was about winning long term and what he wanted in his program. He knew how he won. He knew the type of people he wanted in the program. And so to be on the front end of that and then have the opportunity to try to emulate that here at Ball State um, is probably what I will take from him the most because it's it will what it's what's going to help me the most as I get started here. One of the things I don't think people One understand of the things I don't think people is understand that Ball State, is have, that Ball State may have the best facilities because it's produced best 100 million in Indiana. Indiana, excuse me, Ball State's good a job as any school in the Midwest with their facilities. I mean, you're not coming into a place. You're not coming into a place that's a dump. I mean, you're coming into a big-time environment. Well, when I walked in our practice facility, I was blown away. I was not was not expecting yeah. that. I and I told the guys that in the meeting. I like, look, man, that that thing you got over there, where you guys get to work out twenty four seven and have complete access to it to work on your game. Like, that is just as good as anything we had at UCLA. And our, and our and the building at UCLA is four or five years old. You know, Steve got that built right at the end. Um, it is big time. The only difference is it doesn't have eleven national championship banners hanging in it, right? Um, right. But the the space <laughs> right. and, and what's in there, um, I couldn't think. Uh, I, I couldn't think of anything else you need, right? So they've got an op, they've got a place. College basketball players are concerned. About, they're pretty simple people when it comes down to it. Now the people around them sometimes get a little bit more complicated, <laughs> as you know. But the players themselves are are, are right. pretty simple. Like, hey, where where do I get a hoop? Where do I eat? Where do I sleep? Like you know, like like where am I working out? Where am I sleeping? Where am I eating? If those things are good, I'm good. And um, I think we have that at Ball State. You coached in the Final Four a year ago. The Final Four is this weekend. Walk me through, like, 
Like, how how does this week go from a coaching staff perspective leading up to Saturday night? Well, it, it was. I think it was easier for us being in the bubble um, because we it eliminates a lot of distractions. We didn't have to fly home after winning an elite elite eight game and deal with all that. Um, parents, um, family, friends, all those things had no access to our guys at the hotel because they couldn't get in. Um, now I'm sure their phones were blowing up and different things, but um, it was probably different, much different than what they were experiencing this year. But um, the the preparation, all that stuff never changes. You know, it, it's like, you know, you, you always prepare to, to, to play the best team on your schedule, you know, regardless of where you are in the season, you're preparing to compete against the best team on your schedule. Um, so we, other than, than not being able to go outside, uh, we try to keep things, um, you know, pretty simple for our guys last season. We just, you know, just nothing changed as far as a preparation standpoint, how we went about our scouting, how we went about our practice and the things that we did to lead up into the game. Um, we kept we kept the same. You know, I think um, basketball players are creatures of habit. Uh, whenever you can kind of keep them in their, their regular routine, the, the better off. But things were a lot easier for us because I, I believe we were in the bubble. So we didn't have to worry about anybody you know, walking around New Orleans, going down on Bourbon Street to, to, you know, check out the site. So it was a little bit easier for us. I'm just, I just hope nobody gets arrested this week. You know, that, that's the thing. You put a final four in New Orleans. Right. Like, I just, I just hope uh, no coach get, loses his job because he, he did something silly. You got to be careful with that in New Orleans now. Different things down there. Mike, and Mike, in 1987, I was handcuffed in the back of a squad car after he won national championship. I was going downtown. <laughs> And only a federal judge happened to see me in line, talk to cops out of taking me downtown. I was in cuffs, in the back of a car, ready hey, to go. Hey, but you, hey, obviously, day, you didn't really woo. care, though. You had, a, you had a natty in your hands, and you were good, man. That's a national championship. I, you're good. Mike, yeah, but when they slapped those cuffs on, I, I yeah, cared I, a little. And I thought about, <laughs> man, a New Orleans jail. Oh, jeez. Hey, I can only imagine. I don't care how old you are, like, they have to walk up to Coach Knight, you know, whether you're a player or a coach, and be like, hey, man, uh, we got a problem. <laughs> Ooh, and I'm the problem. Hey, I didn't mind telling Coach Knight we got a problem if you were the problem. I didn't want to be the problem. Hey, speaking of being a problem, do you remember my freshman year? I was I had some turnover issues, man, and I was throwing that ball all around in practice. And, and uh, Coach got mad at you because you recruited me, and he was like, hey, the next time Louie throws yeah. it away – you and him are both running stairs and you like walk behind me. And he's like, just shoot it every time. Shoot it before you turn it over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yes, I do. And I appreciate, I don't, I can't remember. I, I had to run a lot. I can't remember if it was in. All right. Final four, you played in coached in big rivalry games, whether it's Purdue, Indiana, USC, UCLA. Hey, look, what do you see in the North Carolina Duke game? I mean, I, I, I see two high-level teams. Um, you know, North, we saw, obviously, North Carolina up close and personal. Um, we, we lost that game because we, we gave up 15 offensive rebounds. So, um, you know, they, and Caleb Love just went absolutely nuts uh, in, the, in the second half. So, I think that's the key. You, you, you've got to, one, you have to stop Carolina in transition. I don't know as much about Duke, but you have to stop Carolina in transition. Um, and you have to keep them off the glass. If you can keep them off the glass and get them in the half court, you can simplify a lot of your defensive game plan. Um, you, you know, R.J. Davis, you know, excellent. Caleb Love, excellent. Um, you, you've got to make Manic dribble the ball. Um, you can't like you like when he catches it. You've got to be in his pocket. 
you know, make if he if he beats you making plays off the bounce, he beats you making plays off the bounce. But you cannot allow him to get open looks. Um, your ball ball screen coverage obviously has to be very solid um, because they can put you in spots where they can spread you out with their shooters. And then, you know, you got two guards like that can rock with the ball, man. It, it's it's difficult. And then Baycott's a problem. So, um, but I think that the, the major key is transition, make it a half court game, and then you have to keep them off the glass and just give them one opportunity. We gave up 15 offensive rebounds. It killed us. We're up three minute, 30, 40 left. Uh, offensive rebound going out of bounds. Baycott makes a great save. Loose ball, bang, three, tie game. And, you know, it's it's the ball game. Um, and I think if we get that rebound, you got the ball up three, you know, things change. So, um, you know, it's, it's it's difficult, but like what a what a rivalry game and to have it on that stage. Woo, woo. You know, and then all the things, all the things hey, we coach hey, Kelly too. Like so, um, it's going to be big. Mike, I want to go to Baycott for a second. I, I've been talking about that play that he made. It's one of the most underrated plays of the entire tournament, maybe the most important play of the entire tournament. How difficult is he uh, in the middle of the floor with those middle ball screens? Well, he's one. He's a he's a big human being. Like, there's not many guys on this planet as large as he is. Um, and not only that is he's very mobile. Like he, he can get on and off a ball screen very quickly. He's got good hands. He can finish at the rim. Uh, he even stepped out, hit a 15 foot jump shot against, against us. Um, but yeah, everybody looks at the three to tie the game. Like that three never happens. If you don't have a six eleven guy diving out of bounds to make a save. And like, that's, right. you know, the, the, the fans are all cheering the three, the basketball people understand like that is one of the best plays of the tournament because it, it changed the whole, the whole game. You give up, you give us, you give Mick Cronin the ball up three with a minute 30. We're not losing too many games now. And, and, and that play can, can, no, and you got, and you got veteran guys, you got veteran guys that have been in that spot a hundred times. Yeah, no question. So I think that was, that was a huge, huge play. Um, he's, he is a problem um, because he, he can put pressure at the rim and you have to account for him. And then they've got three guys that can really spray it from the perimeter around them. You know, you, if Leaky Black is making shots, like, whoa, lights out. You know, he's the one guy that you can kind of use the, the help off of, and, you, and you're just rolling the dice whether or not he's making shots. But you, when the shot goes up, you got to find him. Because if you're do, giving a lot of help off of him and gapping off of him, when that shot goes up, he's sprinting in. You better go find him and put a body on him. Well, you got any thoughts on Kansas Villanova? Uh, we think? played Villanova early in the year. Um, again, I, I know them because uh, we competed against them. Um, when I get into a season, I'm, I, I love college basketball, but I'm I'm watching guys that we play and really study in our team. But um, Villanova, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, different style. Uh, you can't help off the perimeter. Like when they start back, they do the little, you know, the guards will back you down from from every position, and if you start digging in there and helping. Um, they're, they're backing you down to pass. Well, that's what we told our guys. They're backing you down to get you to help, to fire it out, and then they can get you in rotations and they can be a problem. So we just wanted to play the back down one-on-one. -on -one. You've got to be able to hold your ground. You've got, when they, when you've got to be able to wall up and make them make tough shots over the top of you. Um, and you've got to live with them making a bunch of tough twos. But I just don't believe you can help and give them the open rhythm threes or let them get you in a closeout where they can attack you off the bounce. You know, Mike, the answer to this is I want all great players. Okay. So I'm going to give you the answer before I ask the question, but 
back in the day, it was, man, I got to get a good big guy. Then it became, I got to get a good point guard. Then it became, you know, the most important player to recruit is a stretch four. You got to be able to shoot from the four, versatile four. In your mind, other than, hey, look, I got to have great players. What's the first kind of, what's the first position you're looking to recruit? Well, I think what I'm looking for more than position, because what you just said, it changes all the time. But the one thing that has stayed constant, and it's it's why when you when you looked at the Sweet 16 teams, they weren't the most 16 most talented teams in the tournament. Um, but they were the 16 teams at that time that were the hardest, toughest, most disciplined, smartest teams left in the tournament. So regardless of position, what I want is I want guys that love basketball and love to compete. If you love basketball and love to compete, you're going to have a certain level of toughness that it takes to win. Um, if you if you love basketball and you love to compete um, and, you, and you're open to coaching, I can get you to, to play smart enough and disciplined enough for us to win games. So I want guys that love basketball and love to compete, just tough dudes that love basketball and want to go out there. We'll figure it out. Like you look at St. Peter's. You give me some dudes that Shaheen Holloway had at St. Peter's. We'll, we'll go win some games now because he's got dogs. And that's that's what I want. Now, do I want them at different sizes? Yes. Do I want different skills? Yes. But I want the, the main thing. I want I want dudes that go out there and love to compete. Appreciate you coming on, Mike. You going down to the final four? No, oh, man, I got stuff to do here, man. You know, I got, I got, I got to <laughs> be. I, uh, I mean, what am I going to go down there for? For everybody to congratulate me and ask me for a job? Like, come on, like I'm, I need to be around. Right. I need to be around right. these these guys. Um, you know, and and just let them know what this program is going to look like and feel like and be like, and just where they get to know me, where they're much more comfortable. Um, I, I don't, I don't. That's not me. I don't need. I don't need to do all that stuff. And everybody's like, oh, you got all this stuff to do, all this stuff, like. You know, like this is not work. You know, the, the day the day that this becomes work is the day I'm gonna walk away from it. Like I'm I'm not like these dudes. Like you know how it is. You go out there and like, oh, I'm grinding, I'm grinding. No, that guy that guy roofing, man, he's grinding. Like I get it, I get a good right. basketball, man. I'm having a blast. Right. Um, getting to know these guys, getting to know Ball State and and anything I can do to help these, you know, help this place and giving me an opportunity, like this is not work. Like this. I mean, I mean, I, I get to coach a game and try to teach life lessons to kids through around basketball. Like it's, I mean, how lucky am I? It's funny. I had Mike Bray on yesterday and I sent him a text. Hey, thanks for coming on. He goes, Hey, shh, don't tell anybody, but we don't have real jobs. I don't have a real job. My deal is, yeah. but yeah, I'm glad you feel that way. Cause I always say it, man, I watched, I watched my freaking uncle go work in a steel mill. I watched my dad teach school and then he have to work as a freaking uh, iron worker in the summer. And we're going to bitch about being in Vegas, watching an yeah. AAU tournament. No, Stop I'm it. With, Stop. That's how I, I always I'm feel. With, I'm yeah, with coach man. Bray, man. I like the day this becomes work. If I ever, if, if my ego gets to the point where I think this is work, that's when I walk away. Because I've been, I've been really lucky to be around great people and I've been stealing money for years, brother. So that's, this is that's great. right. This is great. <laughs> All right, my man. Hey, thanks for coming on. I really no, appreciate thank you. it. Anytime, thank man. You. Thanks. He's the best. I'm telling you, Mike Lewis is going to do great things at Ball State. And those of you that don't know, you're going to know because Ball State is one of those places that is a sleeping giant, man. They have a beautiful facility. The Worthen Center is incredible. It really is. And at the end of the day, you got to have facilities. You got to have a great meal plan. You got to have a great weight coach. And you got to have a great trainer. And Ball State has all of it, and Mike Lewis is going to coach him up. I'll tell you, and if you could not, I don't know, uh, if, if you could not um, 
I don't know. It, it, what's the right word? If, uh, if you can hear it in his voice, I can't help you. I really can't. What a great day we've had today. Clay Travis joined us. Mike Lewis joined us. My friend Jason Hammer joined us. Uh, we've got the road to 5,000. That's right. I told you before this tournament, I was going to make you $5,000. And right now, here's what I did. I took 250 and when I got it to 750 I took the 250 out. I think I got it to 753 or something. All right? I took it out. So right now in my account... I have, let me see, I'll tell you exactly, $4,608.36. So I am $391.64 away from getting to where I want to go, which is $5,000. Tonight, there are three basketball games. Tonight, or excuse me, two basketball games. Coastal Carolina and Fresno State and Xavier and Texas A&M. Look. These are tough games. These are very, very tough games. I'm not sure which way I would go with either of them. I don't know Fresno or Coastal Carolina. I know Coastal Carolina always plays in this tournament, and they always win. As I sit here right now, I'm going to move Texas A&M to minus four. I'm going to not take four and a half. The hook always kills me. I don't bet every game, but I'm going to take Texas A&M, and I'm going to move it to four. I'll give you my picks right now for the final four, but I reserve the right to change those picks if anybody like Louis says gets arrested or there's any problem. I'm taking Duke minus four. Duke minus four is not an easy bet. It could be a one-point game. It could be Duke's got the ball down one. They get fouled, make two free. I mean, I don't know. But I'm going to take Duke, and I'm going to take Kansas minus four. My favorite bet of the weekend is Kansas minus four. Do not panic if Kansas gets off to a bad start. Don't even think about panicking if Kansas gets off to a bad start. You saw it in the Elite Eight. This might be a bad start game, both of them. Don't panic. Louisville and South Carolina. I'm going to take South Carolina, and I'm going to give the eight. This Boston is a hell of a player, man. Hell of a player. And I'm going to take Stanford minus one. These two games are Friday. I'm watching Stanford, and I just see a really good basketball team. I'm watching UConn, and I see a really good basketball team. Paige Beckers is terrific, and she's back off a knee injury. Did you know with her back before they played Indiana in the Sweet 16, UConn was winning their game, their average margin of victory with Paige Becker was 36 over 36. Well, I'm going to take Stanford in this. Not sure why. I mean, look. If Coach K and Gino Auriemma win a national championship the same year, that's pretty damn good. That is. Here is a betting tip that I got yesterday. I got this from one of my listeners. And by the way, if you want more of all this, 107.5 The Fan. 107.5 The Fan. Uh, wherever you stream it, just pick us up. And I'm on from noon to three. Roy Williams is going to join me today. But in my little world, this isn't for tonight. I don't know when they play next. Bet against the Pacers. I don't care what it is. Bet against the Pacers. Pacers are in the tank. They're a fraudulent uh, locker room. Whoever is playing is out for themselves. Halliburton will get a double-double every night. Their team will get beat. Last night, I took the pace, or excuse me, I took the Nuggets over 123 and a half. They got to 125. Our toes are tapping. It was another $100 in the till, and away we went. 
That's what we're doing in these games. Bet against the Pacers. If it's somebody that they're playing against, bet them to get a double-double. If there's a number that you think is right, meaning let's say the Pacers play, I don't know, the Nuggets, and you see the Nuggets and you think 123, take it. Chances are, if you bet the Pacers this weekend, you are going to win money. Even if you lose on your NCAA bets, because let's be honest, without Justin Moore, Kansas may win by 1,000. Without Justin Moore, Villanova may have this one unbelievable game and go ahead and win. This Final Four is wacky. On paper, going back to how they played, I would say Duke, and I'm saying Duke because when all things being equal, Duke beat the brakes off Carolina. They were not equal in Cameron because of all the distractions. You've heard coaches all week talk about it. I don't know, though. Held North Carolina is playing great. You just heard Mike Lewis, assistant at UCLA, talking about it. The Pacers shall set us free. No matter what you lose, figure out something to bet against the Pacers this weekend, and it will win you money. What an absolute great week we have had. The coaches we've had on, we've had just I'm going to go through it all and say thanks to everybody. I mean, this is a hell of a week leading up to a Final Four. Bray was on. Bayheim was on. Uh, who else? We had? Mike Lewis was just on. God dang, I'm forgetting everybody that came on. Porter Mosier was just on. We had a great week here. We had a great start to our show. It's only about six months in, but when you go through the people that we've had on and you're all supportive and I can't thank you enough. We don't have a show tomorrow. We'll be back at it on Monday. But again, Ryan and Dylan and Corey, thank you all so much. Uh, Again, if you want to watch more of this, Roy Williams comes on with me at 1 o'clock Eastern time. Our show is noon Eastern till 3 Eastern, wherever you stream on 107.5. Thanks to everybody that joined us on the YouTube chat, on the Twitter chat, that's text me during the show, that's watched wherever you're watching. Thank you all so much. Enjoy your Final Four weekend. It is absolutely going to be magnificent. Dockage, out!